Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this episode. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Jordan Glixman. He is an ear, nose, and throat surgeon in private practice at Newton Wellesley Hospital and a lecturer part-time at Harvard Medical School based in Massachusetts. And I'm so excited to talk to him all about tonsils and adenoids. Welcome, Dr. Glixman, for joining us today. And thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we're doing two episodes. We are doing one on tonsils and adenoids, and then I'm releasing another episode today with Dr. Glixman on ear tubes. So make sure you listen to both of these episodes because you will get a lot of education about it. Thanks again for joining us. Now, I want to talk about tonsils and adenoids first. Some parents don't know the purpose of an adenoid or tonsil. They don't know where it is. But let's just discuss basics about adenoids. What are they? What are their purpose? Do they have a purpose? Tell me more about adenoids. Sure. So the adenoids are a type of immune tissue in the throat behind the nose. That part of the nose is, or that part of the throat, I should say, is, is called the nasopharynx because it's behind the nose. It sits in the midline uh, in between where the eustachian tubes open on either side. And it has an immune function where it traps and samples germs that may enter the mouth or the nose so your body can detect them before they enter uh, into the body. They produce immune globulins, which can help fight infections. And uh, that's, that's why we have them is to, uh, to some extent to protect us from infections. That being said, the adenoid tissue actually uh, tends to involute or disappear over time as uh, children get older. And so they aren't a absolutely critical part of our immune system, uh, even though they might help a little bit. And so we know that they have some benefit, but of course we know that sometimes they need to come out. So what may be some instances that we have to tell ourselves, okay, let's, let's see, uh, we might need to get them out because the benefits may be there to remove them. Yeah. So that's a great question. The probably most common reason that we would take adenoids out in children is because they have a condition called obstructive sleep apnea or possibly to a lesser extent, some other type of disturbed breathing at night where the adenoids are causing a blockage. Uh, that, that's definitely the most common reason that we would take them out. Uh, there's other less common uh, reasons such as recurrent infections, uh, be it of the adenoids themselves, uh, or in some cases, and this is becoming less common uh, for patients that are having problems with recurrent ear infection. Great. I, this is so helpful. And I think, like I said, because it's not something that we can always visually you know, parents can really see, right? Meaning just from looking inside their mouth and it's not something that's visible, correct? No, you can't see it at all, which is right. one of the challenges. Uh, you really need specialized equipment uh, or for a child to be sedated in the operating room in order to see it. 
Right. Um, and so it's, it is one of those things that do get removed and we'll get into like what, you know, the tonsils and adenoids being removed. Um, but I've always, you know, talked to some families about this. Is there a possibility that you may need to remove the adenoids and then have to remove it again? Like, for example, they grow back. Is that a possibility? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's a difficult area to see, uh, sometimes we don't get the whole adenoid uh, pad out. Uh, usually not a problem. And probably most of the time we don't get all of it out. But when you leave some behind, obviously there's a chance for it to grow back uh, to a partial extent or even to a larger extent to where it causes a problem again. And we're, we'll get into more about the tonsil and adenoid surgery. We, I had some questions for um, Jordan, but I want to switch gears and talk about tonsils. So we talked about the adenoids, but what are the purpose of the tonsils? They're very similar, uh, except that they're just in a little bit of a different location. Uh, these you actually can see when you look inside the mouth if they're big enough. Sometimes they're really small and you can't see them so easily, uh, but they're basically the same thing. They're lymph tissue that's sitting in the back of the throat, this time behind the oral cavity. Uh, they're sitting between two pillars of soft tissue, which are muscles that form kind of the bed in which they, they sit. And it's the same sort of uh, function where they trap and sample germs that enter the mouth and the nose. And they also produce immune globulins, which can help fight infection. And so similar question, if you know they have these benefits, when do we say, hey, we need to take these out? Uh, so it'd be a similar thing. There's probably more reasons to take out the tonsils than there would be to take out the adenoids. Uh, so it's more common to uh, take out the tonsils alone than to ever take out the adenoids alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the biggest reason, again, that we would take them out would be obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, but also children that get recurrent throat infections, uh, particularly with strep throat. Uh, also, there's a condition called the peritonsillar abscess, which is a more severe infection of the throat. And if patients are getting more than one of them. That's typically when we start to recommend it. And then there's a lot of more rare conditions that uh, are very kind of specialized and specific uh, on a case-by-case situation that we would consider taking them out as well. In terms of strep, are there current recommendations or um, guidelines that say, hey, if you get X amount of cases in a year, six months, that, hey, this might be time to be referred to an ENT? Yeah. So uh, you're a pediatrician and I'm an ear, nose, and throat doctor. And our uh, Respective societies actually got together and put together mm-hmm. guidelines. And the guidelines are seven in one year, uh, five a year for two years, or three a year for three years. But there's exceptions that might make you more likely to take out the tonsils in a patient, uh, even if they don't meet these criteria. For example, if someone in the family or even the patient themselves have had some kind of rheumatoid disease uh, that is thought to be related to strep throat, like rheumatic fever, for example, which is one of the reasons we try to take these tonsils out to prevent a, a complication like that. And you had mentioned that many times you'll remove the tonsils um, without the adenoids, but you'll never really remove the adenoids. Um, It's rare to just have to remove the adenoids. A lot of times this procedure is done together, right? We call it a TNA. Tonsils and adenoids get removed at the same time. Is there a reason why we remove them together? There is. Uh, In -hmm. general, uh, it's because we're typically doing this uh, for uh, sleep apnea or at least Mm -hmm. some level of disturbed breathing at night uh, that's caused by obstruction. And so they both can be locations where uh, you would get some obstruction. There, I know that there are some researchers looking at whether or not you can get away with one and not the other. Uh, the general thinking and the general reason why they both come out together uh, is to avoid a patient having to go under a second anesthetic. You know, better to do one surgery uh, than, than two if you have the choice. And the complication risks don't really go up that much by taking both at the, at the same time. 
And the reason why I wanted you on the podcast is it's just so great to get, um, you know, surgical specialties on because parents, obviously, when they go to ENTs and they find out they, their child may need this, you know, they're talking with their uh, child's doctor about the potential of this. They have a lot of questions and they're confused. I know you're just one ENT, but can you just describe basically what the recovery looks like, um, what parents can kind of expect? Um, I'm sure they'll get that guidance from their own ENT, but generally the, the follow-up that's kind of entails with these procedures. Yeah. So uh, that's a great question. Kids are very, very good recoverers when it comes to tonsil and adenoid surgery. You know, you and I, I know, you, I know that we both look uh, really young, but we're, we're a little older. <laughs> and when, when you are older, it's because we've had more infections over our lifetime, we think uh, there's more scarring that forms. And so, uh, as I mentioned before, the tonsils sit in between two muscles, uh, soft tissue pillars that are formed by muscle. And when we take the tonsils out, uh, there's more likelihood if there's been more scar tissue, we think, uh, to cause injury to the muscles uh, deep to the tonsil itself. Um, and so in you and I, uh, it might be a week or two or maybe even longer of, uh, of pain that we're not very happy. In general, I find that children within a couple of days are almost back to their normal baseline self. I do ask my patients, and I think most do, uh, most of my colleagues do as well, to not uh, eat rough foods like potato chips and that sort of thing. Uh, but generally, with a soft diet, and the, ch- the kids love this, uh, they're eating ice cream and pudding, yeah. and, uh, all those fun things for a week. They, they tend to do really well. And in general, I don't prescribe narcotics to children uh, after a tonsil surgery or an adenoid surgery because they just don't need it. Uh, they tend to be fine with just Tylenol. And there's a little bit of controversy around Advil. Uh, generally, I've not had major problems with it in terms of bleeding risk, but uh, basically Tylenol and Advil seems to cut it for children. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains.
This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code pedsdoc that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, just obviously keeping them hydrated, like you said, and comfortable. Um, and in, in terms of the actual procedure, um, we don't have to get into too much of the nitty gritty, but it's in an OR setting and usually we're using anesthesia, obviously, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, there are probably parts of the world where they don't use anesthetic and yeah. uh, but that would be, that, that's really cruel um, and not something that I would ever want to put a, a child through when they're awake. But yeah, it, it, the patient typically comes in with their parents to the operating room, at least at our hospital. I think at most hospitals across the country now, we tend to be very uh, family-centric when we treat kids. Parents have concerns. The kid will typically be very nervous. It might be the first time they undergo surgery. So the parents and the children will come back together in most cases. And then the child will be put to sleep using uh, an anesthetic uh, that is inhalational, very similar to laughing gas uh, mm-hmm. at the dentist. And then once the child is asleep, then we put in the IV typically, and, and then uh, the surgery begins after we do our typical timeouts and uh, those safety protocols that we have in place to make sure that we do uh, everything as safe as possible. Uh, the surgery itself uh, involves basically, it's only a couple minutes, and we, we use, uh, when I do it, I use electrocautery, but there's a bunch of different tools that you can use, take the tonsil out, um, and we make sure there's not uh, any significant bleeding, and then the patient's awoken. Uh, brought to the recovery room. And once they're awake enough, uh, they're returned to their loving parents. Awesome. And I've, you know, in residency, I obviously I'm, I'm a general pediatrician, but in residency, I've scrubbed into these, these procedures and observed them. How long do they typically take? Uh, not very long, typically. Yeah. Usually the going to sleep and waking up part takes longer than the actual surgery itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we don't try to rush, but typically we're looking at less than five minutes, maybe 10 minutes tops. Uh, to get this done uh, under routine circumstances. In some ways, I think that's great to hear for parents, I hope. Um, when I scrubbed in, I actually didn't, you know, how would I have known unless I scrubbed in? Um, and so I scrubbed in and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And you all are obviously very well trained and know how to do this. So it was just so great to see. And like you said, the recovery is, um, you know, fluids, cold items. People often ask, who do I follow up with, my pediatrician or the specialist? As general pediatricians, we always say follow up with the specialist. Of course, if your specialist is not available, which they should be, you can always come to us. But sometimes I get patients coming in, you know, post-op, um, they forget that they can call their surgeon. Um, so definitely talk to the surgeon because they're going to follow up with you if you have any concerns. Yeah, if I'm operating on someone, and I think uh, just about every surgeon I know is like this, uh, we take, you know, great uh, pride in our work and also yeah. uh, ownership of our patients. Uh, and until, you know, the problem's completely resolved, we want to be part of that uh, 100%. Uh, and make sure that uh, the recovery is as smooth as it could possibly be and that the family and the, the child are happy, well, as happy as they can be given that they just had a surgery. And, you know, yeah, from our perspective, uh, we typically follow up, at least in my practice, uh, at about a month. Um, so that way they've had a full chance to heal and recover 
and we, we it's, it's mostly just a meet and greet and a saying hello. And typically the parents are really happy because not only is the kid not stopping their breathing at night, uh, they're also not snoring, which obviously uh, can be distressing to the parents as well. And I'm sure there are many different situations with various cases, but sometimes is it that you're monitoring the patient before deciding to do surgery? Are there just more instances that say, hey, surgery is probably the best option? How does that kind of look like for you in terms of deciding, hey, we need to go to the OR now, or this is something that we're going to monitor? I'm so glad you asked that because we kind of did just jump to surgery. There are definitely medical uh, options uh, as well. In in part, it depends on how severe it seems to be. And severity often involves how much it's affecting the child's quality of life and Mm -hmm. their ability to do well at school. But in some cases, simply treating them with a nasal steroid spray like Flonase, which fortunately is not absorbed to a large extent by the body and is delivered in a high concentration where it needs to be, but not enough to the rest of the body to cause major complications in the vast majority of cases. Something as simple as that can really go a long way uh, to making the child better. And sometimes just the child growing can allow them to out, uh, outgrow the problem. Now, that, that of course, is specific to uh, sleep apnea and the sleep concerns, mm-hmm. um, but that would be uh, one of the ways that we try and avoid surgery in our patients uh, if that's what the parents uh, would like us to do um, if we agree that's in the best interest of the child. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about that. And I think parents, again, parents are often concerned when the word surgery comes up, right? They think, of course, and I I understand that, um, you know, they want to know if there's other options. Is this what's the best situation? And like I said, I'm just so glad we're talking about this because there are other options before then. Even as general pediatricians, sometimes we talk about all the things you're mentioning, right? Let's do some nasal steroid sprays. And then, of course, we say, hey, Go talk to the ENT. We just think it's nice to start that process. It does not mean you immediately need to get the surgery, but it's just important to start that conversation, like you said, to get a better quality of life for that child. I think there is a fear of surgeries in general. Um, I find that that happens a lot. And I, I'm also low intervention, low surgery if we don't have to. But in so many cases, I mean, let's be, you're, I, know, I know you do this every day. It really helps the child. And if it helps the child, that's what we want, right? We want to try most conservative, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's what's really going to help them and it'll make them sleep better at night, figuratively and literally, and then also the parents. So I agree with that. Yeah, I I agree with you completely. And I I joke uh, sometimes with my patients uh, and their families, and I say, even though this is a minor surgery for me, I I recognize that this isn't a minor surgery for you. The only minor surgery from a patient's perspective or a family's perspective is surgery on someone else or not their family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even a, even a, a five, 10 minute operation uh, has the potential for complications. Fortunately, in this case, it's very safe and thousands and thousands are done across the country uh, each day without problems. Uh, but at the same time, it is something that we, we, we take very seriously, even if for me, it's a, you know, a typical day uh, at work, definitely not a typical day in the life of our patients. So uh, it's definitely something that we take very seriously. Yeah, I can tell. And I can tell you have a passion for it. And it's just so great to talk to you. What would be your final message for everyone listening today? Um, well, I, you know, I think that if, uh, if you've got concerns about uh, your child with respect to adenotonsillar disease, be it your child snoring and having, say, behavioral issues uh, related to potentially not getting enough sleep or they're getting a lot of throat infections, like you said, I think it is important to talk to your pediatrician about it and, if appropriate, uh, to be seen by a specialist. You know, even if you come in and it turns out that the child doesn't need surgery, no one's going to be upset. We'd rather see, you know, 10 children that uh, don't have a problem than, you know, be in a situation where we miss one uh, that we can really help. So, you know, it doesn't mean just because you're going to go see a surgeon that you need Mm -hmm. surgery. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're here to support you with medical and surgical. And even if it's just observation, we're here to be part of uh, your experience and make sure 
that your child has the best uh, possible outcome uh, and maximizes their potential and their health. Yeah. And it's a team effort. Like you said, it does not necessarily mean surgery is the answer, but it's just something that you all are trained every day in this area. This is what you do day in and day out. You know tonsils, you know adenoids, you know ear tubes, which we're going to talk about later. So I want the experts of the expert to to weigh in on my patients. So I love when I can you know find a great ENT to work with me, work with my patients. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Jordan Blixman, he is at Newton Wellesley Hospital and he actually him and his wife also follow me on my Instagram account so that's how I found him to come on make sure you listen to the other episode today about ear tubes because you're going to get some education on that procedure as well and when that's indicated thanks again Jordan for joining us Uh, thanks for having me pleasure. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Are you tired of searching Google and ending up in a rabbit hole at 2am thinking that you're ruining your kid? Stop and visit pedsdoctalk.com. My website is your new Google with a search feature to search all content that I have that is free or available by purchase. And let me tell you, there are a lot of free goodies there, like free printable PDFs for how to handle a choking incident to milestones to monitor in your kid. My website provides information regarding the health and development of your child, including parenting and sleep. My goal is that you stop those middle-of-the-night searches that lead you nowhere but into the land of anxiety. My goal is to guide you to be the confident and calm parent I know that you are. Make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and use the magnifying glass to search. Want even more? Make sure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting pedsdoctalk.com newsletter where you can get the latest and greatest in child health news and parenting tips delivered directly to your inbox. That's pedsdoctalk.com newsletter.